Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome in to another edition of the JMU Sports News Podcast. I'm Bennett Conlon, joined by proud Seattle Seahawks fan, Jack Fitzpatrick. Damn right. Seahawks are rolling, folks. Uh, don't call us Super Bowl contenders just yet, but uh, next week you by all means can. On the other side of that coin, welcome in Bennett Conlin, known Detroit Lions um, sadist. Look, they got the one win. They're building for the future. They're already trading guys away and loading up on draft picks. And the cycle continues, right? The NFL draft is their draft Super Bowl. Draft to top 10, tight end, right. and trade him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's that's sort of the plan is anytime you can reach for tight ends early do it even though nobody on the defense is good so i'm sure we're gonna go quarterback which i'm fine with and then we're gonna go like <laughs> running back at like 15 with the rams pick, which would be sweet. Uh, as a seahawks fan we have the broncos pick so seeing them win on sunday in london was a bit of a bummer because um, not only is it fun watching russell be terrible um, it's also fun to watch them be terrible and know that with each loss, the Seattle Seahawks are getting a better draft pick. Um, and for once in my life, I've, I'm I'm happy for a first round draft pick. But I don't know why we're talking so much about all of this stuff right now. People want to any- hear our, our NFL takes early in this Jamie podcast. That's what people come here for. Oh, exactly. And you know what else they come here for? Three notched. Three they come here notched. for three notched. Minuteman Mondays every Monday. $3 pints, pretty dang cool. Wednesday game nights, <laughs> $5 flagship pint. This is one of the few times we've recorded not on a Monday or Wednesday, which is exciting because usually we're recording. It's like, oh, if you're listening live, like you should just be at the Valley Collab House, right? Yeah. In your beers. But today's Tuesday. So you can prepare for next Monday. You can prepare for game night tomorrow, whatever it is. Get yourself there. We'll be there less than a month now, this month. Are you excited? I am pretty excited, yeah. I'm very excited for this upcoming um, upcoming trip. We have planned for Harrisonburg, and I was trying to stall there for a second because I had to find out that basketball is back, folks. And Bet Online remains your number one source for all of your sports betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, game trends, everything like that at Bet Online, and as your continued source for all sports wagering information, BetOnline features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all, all season long. Always the fastest, always the easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports and events, whether that's FL, NBA, NHL, UFC 281, UFC 282, uh, tennis, boxing, even live golf, folks. <laughs> Head to betonline.ag, that's betonline.ag, to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure you use promo code BELIEVE, that's promo code B-L-E-A-V, it's scrolling across the bottom if you're watching the live stream to receive your rewards. Bet online, folks, where the game starts. Heck yeah. Yeah. With all that housekeeping stuff out of the way. I guess we jump back into our NFL takes now. <laughs> I think that's exactly right. That's what people are here for. That and uh, 
potentially some some injury takes, right? We can pretend that we're well sourced here and just label who's playing in the Jamie Louisville game. I mean, I think we're just as well sourced as the media members on the Jamie. <laughs> and that's that's not attacking them. That's Kurt Signetti not giving them any information whatsoever. Like Kurt Signetti today on record uh says that the t- Wow, I just stuttered so badly on that one. Kurt Signetti today on record said, why would I tell you who is injured? How does that help the team? He also closed practice for the portion of practice that is typically open to the media. So he's playing it real, his cards real close to the chest. I'm taking that as a sign of Todd Sinteo is playing, but... You, you do you want to break it down as a former well, beat writer? I, I, well, I'm interested. Why why do you think that's him playing? Because I I convinced myself both ways earlier today of like, oh, this means this, but I don't know. So why why do you think that means Todd's playing? I think it's because if Billy was playing, like you're already now that you have me trying to defend it. I was just putting it up <laughs> in my head, but it, to me, it's just kind of like if Billy was playing, you wouldn't be so tight like tight with everything. Cause with Todd's playing, you're a much better team. So you're trying to even get that even more competitive advantage. And I know exact what everything I'm saying could be used for the exact opposite <laughs> in defense of why, but I, I think because he was injured, he didn't play. So if you assume the status quo, you wouldn't like be closing all of these things off. You would like the, Louisville assumes the status quo until anything comes out otherwise, right? Because, like, Kurt Signetti played it really close to the chest. Last week after the game, he was kind of just like, we'll see what happens. It's week to week. Didn't give any, like, certainty one way or another. And so Louisville's on the other side thinking, okay, well, then it's Billy Atkins until otherwise. And now I think there's the otherwise that's in play. And Kurt Signetti doesn't want anything to come out. So he's just going to act like it's week one of the season. And like Louisville now has to prepare for both quarterbacks, which could be the exact same reasoning for why you are hiding Billy Atkins as the starter. But Todd also warmed up last game. He warmed up before Marshall, tried to give it a go. Yeah, right, right. And if I'm a body language expert, which I am not, it seemed like he thought he could go. I I kind of feel like he'll play, right? If he, if he really was like game time decision and then he gets a bye week plus, right, obviously the prep week, it's, you know, I, you would think that he could probably get his body ready to go. I also think if he's out for any extended period of time. They would have said it. And I know college injuries is different from NFL and they're not as like the NFL, you're required to report your injuries. Like, if not, you get docked draft picks, which has happened to teams in the past for like flubbing their injury report. College is not the same. So JMU and Kurt Signetti, it, they're not bound by any rules to, to disclose what Todd Santeo is going through. But at the same time, if he was out for the season or out for an extended period of time, which if he misses this week, I'd consider an extended period of time. It'd be three weeks. Yeah. I think we would have known. I think it would have been said, you know, after the Marshall game that, you know, Todd, Todd's banged up pretty bad. He's going to miss some time. I kind of feel like he'll play, but it's also, it's also, I don't think it actually gives them a competitive advantage. 
Like I know like the the logic I think that Signetti's going with, right, is they prepare <laughs> for two quarterbacks. And like not to be mean, but there I don't think there's anything Billy Atkins does that Todd Santeo doesn't do. So I don't think there's like a separate prep. You know what I mean? It's like, oh hey, oh, he's in, he's less mobile. Like, like that's not <laughs> I yeah. don't think that would necessarily change a lot game plan wise. Like he was like 13 of 35 for what four interceptions and took seven sacks against Marshall. Well, I don't I don't mean to be mean. He's just like barely played college football as a starting level. So I don't think there's like the Louisville defensive coaches who just bodied Sam Hartman are like shaking in their boots about a backup at the G five level. That's, I don't think there's a competitive advantage there. So I don't fully understand why he's doing it. I, I could see both ways, right. Where it's like, maybe want to lull him to sleep where they're like, Oh, like, you know, we played Clemson next week. We just played a top 10 week forest team. Now we've got this G five team that might not even have their starting quarterback. Like, all right, let's coast this week. And there's a little emotional letdown. So maybe you try to play into that. Or on the flip side, Santeo can't go and you want them to prepare like 90% for Santeo so that you can maybe throw some wrinkles in with Atkins and have a puncher's chance of, of keeping it competitive. I don't know. I just think that he's probably fair that there's no actual benefit to JMU for, for saying it, so he's just not going to say it. Yeah, probably. Moving on, to, you brought something up, and I'm seeing it through the JMU fan base, and I'm seeing it through kind of the college football landscape too now is that it's almost like a foregone conclusion that Louisville's just going to dominate JMU. And I think JMU still has very much a chance to win this game. I think these last two weeks have flipped the script entirely on how we're coming into this game. Two weeks ago, I was saying on the podcast, I don't see JMU being an underdog in any remaining games on the schedule, and that was even looking at Louisville. That was at the point where Louisville had lost to Boston College at Boston College. They weren't looking necessarily strong, lost to Florida State narrow win against UCF and a bad loss to Syracuse. Well, it's turned out Syracuse is actually a pretty all right team. Florida State's been up and down this season, whatever. But we were sitting there and it got to this point where I really thought JMU was going to be a favorite on the road uh, in an ACC game. Well, I was wrong. But at the same time, two weeks have gone by and now they've won their homecoming. Louisville has won their homecoming game. They then just blitzed. Wake Forest, number 10 in the country, absolutely obliterated them at home. I don't know if I'm fully all in on the on Louisville yet, though, and I don't think JMU is this massive underdog that JMU fans are kind of just like, well, well, we don't lose by 20. And it's just like, I think they still, with, with Todd Santeo, if it's Billy Atkins, buckle up for a rough ride, folks. But if it's Todd... Santeo, I think there's a legitimate chance JMU goes in and pulls out the win. Am, am I crazy for thinking that still? I don't think so. Like the line opened at 10, it's down to seven and a half. Like there's some some sharp money on JMU. I I don't know. Like I think I if Sente was healthy, I like their chances. Without him, it's obviously really hard because you've got a really inexperienced quarterback who going up against a Louisville defense that's that's pretty good. I think that's maybe the area that stands out the most with the Cardinals is everyone's like, Oh my God, Malik Cunningham, which is fair. Cause like he's awesome and very fast and they have good running backs. But he hasn't like, been good this season though. I mean, he's been good, but he's been good as like a rusher, but yeah, his passing stats aren't like are frightening, but like he's got some ability. Sure. Fun to watch. But uh, the defense is like a top 15 ESPN efficiency defense had eight sacks from eight different guys against Wake Forest forced eight turnovers, but they were good before that game. They've had some really good showings. They were good against Pitt. Uh, South Florida barely scored on him. 
even like UCF, they've they've done a good job pretty much all year defensively. So they have guys on defense who are good and they're playing well. So I think that's something that's maybe surprising is usually it was like the Malik Cunningham and um, I guess Lamar Jackson show at times where it's like, oh, wow, their quarterbacks are awesome. But they they can play some defense this year. But still, I think JMU matches up fairly well when they're at full health. And I also don't think you could bank on an eight turnover performance. Like they're not 27 points better than Wake Forest. They were 27 points better on Saturday, if that makes sense. Yes. Sorry. It took me a minute to like conceptualize what you're saying. Yeah. They're not, they're not that much better than Wake Forest, but that day, all things considered, they were. Yeah. Everything went right. They had five third quarter forced turnovers and like, I think they had two pick sixes. Like everything went right for them in that game. Yeah, I it just seems like the like the the it's it's all just been flipped so hard all of us against because you couldn't it's like JMU fans are throwing out the beginning of the season and how dominant they looked and I know I was prisoner of the moment the last two weeks like talking about like what's happened this coaching staff needs to be held at the stake and burned alive for their questionable coaching choices. All that. I know the last two weeks I've been really adamant about some things. But at the same time, I've kind of taken the, the time to step back and look at the beginning of the season. They looked damn good against Middle Tennessee. They looked explosive against Norfolk State, but that's not necessarily saying much. They looked resilient against App State. They looked com- – they looked – don't know what word I was going with for C there. They looked prepared against Arkansas State. Like any adjective, those, those – that – that run to start the season to get into the top 25, we can't discount. And it it goes for the same with Louisville. You can't discount the beginning of the season and losing against Boston college, losing to Florida state and just focus on these last two games. I think JMU has a real punter's chance in this game to really shock some people. Louisville's 56th in the nation in EPA. And we'll break it down later in the three notched opponent preview. But I, I don't think Louisville is all that much better than JMU because Scott Satterfield's still on the head, the Scott Scott Satterfield or Feld? Satterfield, yeah, Field, Field, still on the hot seat. Like two weeks ago, his seat was burning up. Now it's a little right. less hot. But like, I don't know. I, I just think it's weird that like the narrative is switched so quickly. Yeah, I think he's he's still an interesting one, right? Because the the rest of their season, they have some pretty good teams left on it. So I mean, it's not crazy to think they could lose three of their last four or something like that it's yeah i don't know i think it's kind of that right recency bias where it's like wow they just blew out wake forest they're incredible it's like well very rarely is an eight turnover performance like going to be replicated and the same with jmu where they're averaging what four and a half turnovers and a blocked pick blocked kick per game over the last two games like that's yeah unrealistic that they continue playing that poorly given how talented they are in the coaching staff so i think both teams could have a little, you know, coming back to the center in terms of what they actually are with JMU playing better and um, and Louisville playing a little bit worse. And yeah, again, it does center a lot on on Santeo, right? Him being healthy, um, the offensive line, Kidwell and Wyatt, what are they able to do? So there are a number of injuries too that I guess Signetti is potentially trying to hide where maybe, I don't know, I don't really understand the advantage, but there are a I mean, lot. There of are a lot there. of injuries. Yeah. I mean, this so. this this offensive line could look very different than what it did the, just three weeks ago. And I will say the offensive line might be something we want to be more worried about as a JMU fandom than we are as of right now because I think it's all being overshadowed by will or will not Todd Santeo play. And I think 
even if Todd's playing, he might get beat up quite a bit depending on what that offensive line makeup is. That's a big deal, and they, they lead the ACC in sacks with 33. I don't think anyone yeah. else has more than 25. So very good <laughs> defensively with the pass rush. But another area where, like, offensive line or not, like, Santeo is better at eluding yeah. that sort of stuff than Atkins. Like, that's just more of well, a strength of his game. Santeo knows what pocket what a pocket is. He, he's able to kind of get out of pressure more. It's It's the same, like, with Atkins where we talked about, like, certain scenarios being better for him as he, like, matures as a quarterback marshall louisville in back-to-back games would not be sort of sort of what you're looking for like if, <laughs> if atkins if atkins goes against odu i think jamie would beat odu like i, th- I don't think he's he's yeah. that far off from beating like if he goes against georgia state i think they're beating georgia state it's just like there's certain teams that defensively you kind of need your guy and even against marshall they were still in a opportunity to win that game and like if they don't yeah. abandon the rush they they right. probably they still win that win. game. So, like, I see what you mean. Yeah, against ODU, against an ACC opponent that seems to be peaking, you probably want your best right. quarterback. The only thing going in Atkins' favor, I think, in this game is the fact that if there's a weak spot on this Louisville defense, it's their rush defense. They're a twenty, they're twenty second in the nation in EPA, but they're forty sixth in rush defense, which like is still really good. Yeah, but if you're like looking for where's the weakness. I mean, they're 23rd against the pass, and then they're 46th against the run. So if, if you can get got anywhere, if this Louisville team can get got, it can get got on uh, the rush, and that's where JMU seems to be resistant to use a lot but is very, very good at it. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. It's one I think they could play like a, a somewhat lower-scoring kind of game and, and win. Like, I don't think the Cardinals on offense have been like, you know, overly shocking. They have some really good players, but they're, they kind of lean on the run more too. So like if JMU's run defense plays really well, and let's say you're going with Atkins and you just do quick passes and run the ball, like maybe you can win or even just lose like 24 to 17, like Pitt lost 24 to 10. Yeah. Um, Like, I don't think that's like impossible. So obviously with Centeo, it gives you a better chance, but I think there are ways that if they don't have him, they could actually still sort of linger around but if they do have him i think it's i don't know i think it's it's possible they upset him it's an offense too that jmu can very well shut down like georgia southern in terms of advanced metrics was the better was is a better offense than louisville like louisville's offense is not necessarily great they put up so many points and they blew out wake like you said eight turnovers which means eight short fields five of which coming in the third quarter five short fields like you better damn hope your offense is able to score some points off of those, and that's how you win games. They're 85th in the nation in EPA in overall offensive efficiency. They're 68th in rush and 89th in the pass. So they're not going to necessarily slice and dice you through the air, which is perfect for JMU. It means they can load the box. It means they can kind of sell out, be more aggressive on their fronts, be more aggressive on their rushes, uh, maybe send – I don't know if Jalen Walker is going to play another person. There's a question mark on, Uh, but we wrote in our round table, Taurus Jones has been, Mm -hmm. I mean, silently, I think better than Jalen Walker. Jalen Walker's had the highlight plays, but Taurus Jones has put together a fantastic season. So you have him back there. I think linebacker play will be big in this game though, for the Dukes. Yeah. I mean, like one of the things we've talked about, is like our concern in years past is like a running quarterback. Yeah, Malik Cunningham is that. Yep, that Malik Cunningham is the. When you say running quarterback, 
it's Lamar Jackson and it's Malik Cunningham. I mean, he leads the team in rush in rushing with uh, 541 net yards, 609 total yards gained this season. Some sacks have taken that off. Just to put that into his perspective, that's nearly that is half of what he went through there. Like he's half of his yards that he's put up through the air rushing as well. And then he's got 11 rushing touchdowns. Well, I, it's, yeah. cause it's interesting because like as a team, they have seven passing touchdowns and seven interceptions. So you're like, oh, okay, they're not that great passing. And then you're like, wait a second, their quarterback is like <laughs> <laughs> like an elite running back. He's so shifty. He's so fast. Like he has some <laughs> highlight plays that are just crazy. And I know we're all like ripping our hair out when they played Trey Lance in that national title game. And he was third and 23, was turning into touchdowns. Like that's where Cunningham scares me. It's like, oh, he scrambles on third and 12 and it's a 60 yard game. I'll say this. If it's Taurus Jones and Jalen Walker, I think we're set for – I think that this is the best linebacking duo they've had. And there's no offense to Demonte Tucker-Dorsey, who's now off at um, Texas and is a key contributor for the Longhorns. But I think combined as a duo, Walker and Jones complement each other really well, and they're both extremely athletic yeah. and extremely versatile linebackers. Tucker-Dorsey was a great sideline-to-sideline side type of guy – but he wasn't necessarily a guy you could drop in coverage, a guy that you could do the things that Jalen Walker and Torres Jones to me are secondary players that play linebacker. Like they are, and, and they're beefed up a little bit, probably a step or two slower than the secondary guys. But in a, in a past life, they played DB. Now they're playing linebacker and you put us, their play is going to be pivotal to pivotal to this game. Have to have to have to spy Malik Cunningham have to not sell out giving him open running lanes because he's a quarterback that is going to tuck it and run if he sees daylight. He's not even going to go through his progressions. If you overrush something or you don't hit your gaps correctly, if you're not gap sound, he's going to make you pay. Yeah, yeah, he's he's elite. And they've got some safeties. No Sam Kidd, obviously, but they've got some – well, not obviously, maybe if you're not paying that much attention, but he's – I hate when people do that. <laughs> Obviously, like everyone just is like a diehard lunatic who pays attention to every injury. No Sam Kidd with <laughs> yeah, no Sam Kidd. But they still have like Q Reed and, and Serrat, I feel like are pretty good. And Chuck Neki. Yeah, yeah. They can tackle at safety. So they have some guys like athletically that maybe can do some things if they want to spy with with whoever. So I think that'll be kind of interesting to watch. The other thing I want to see on the other side of the ball, if it's possible, and we haven't talked about this a lot with the injuries. If Kalon Black is not on a pitch count, <laughs> I'm very excited about the offense. Like if it's Senteo, full Kalon Black and Percy, like I think they that's a pretty good recipe for for winning. I mean, with a with a fully healthy Kalon Black and a fully healthy Todd Senteo, granted I know they were playing lesser opponents, but this is one of the best offenses in the country. Yeah. Like and that's not an exaggeration, which is in, insane to think if you had told me we'd be saying that six months ago, I would have called you insane. I just, the Marshall one, I feel like has thrown us all off because they didn't really have those two guys. Like if they play, I think they scored 30 plus. Yeah. Yeah. Like against Marshall's very good defense. I don't know. I just feel very confident in the offense. They've got guys at receiver who are good. The tight ends have been involved for the first time in like five years. The running backs are all like, I just feel like if Centeo's there, and you would think Kalon Black, I think what they were saying before was like a broken finger where they were worried he would aggravate it. But like, yeah. I feel like the more weeks you you get on that, it should heal pretty good because a finger, I don't know, I feel like those heal reasonably quick. So I, I, 
<laughs> I have no idea if that's true. Thanks, thanks, Doctor <laughs> Bennett. I just I don't. You don't usually see somebody like with a finger who's gone for like a, three months or something. So I, I feel like he already got a few touches against Marshall. You add in the bye week, I feel like he's could get you ten touches or so. Yeah, and Signetti has a really solid record coming off of a bye week. Um, anything else you want to hit before we break down our three notch preview? Just kind of to recap everything and and put it in a nice digestible format. Yeah, go for it. All right. This week's three notch preview. Oh, I can't talk. This week's three notched preview. How the Dukes can win on the road. This is a Louisville team. We touched on it. I mean, defensively, one of the best in the nation. Offensively, pretty solid as well, but not as solid as some of these other teams Jamie's faced. But they have a dual threat quarterback in Malik Cunningham. Has put up, what, 11 rushing touchdowns, you said? 11. With seven passing. So combined 18 total touchdowns for the signal caller. Seven interceptions, though, so he can get kind of got through the air. They rank 36th in the nation in net points per drive. 0.68 points per drive. They add 2.3 offensive points per drive, and their defense only allows 1.62, which is 19th best in the country. So this is a defense that is going to cause some issues for the Dukes, much like Marshall. What's the key? Put it in 15 words. I'm not going to count, though, on you. What's the key to the Dukes winning on the road? Health, probably, right? Todd (laughs) Santeo playing, perhaps, and uh, running the ball. Stopping the run. It's a typical, simple JMU style, I feel like, in this one. Final score. I'm going to go Louisville 31, JMU 24. Okay. I think JMU, this is a get-right game. I think it's a little bit of the quote-unquote spot. Louisville just took down number 10 Wake. They're looking ahead to next week. I think JMU wins 27-24. Sign me up for that. Love it. All right. So breaking all that down. Anything else you want to talk about football before we get into the greatest time of year? Just the other thing that I will say, because I was reading some Louisville stuff. Um, I know there was there was talk about like, well, what is Louisville doing with injury updates? Signetti has no need to give injury updates. That's fine. But Satterfield and his presser <laughs> did give one. So they asked, like somebody asked, is the team pretty healthy besides this one player? And he goes, yeah, the one guy is progressing well. He's going to be out this week, but he's doing great. He goes, everybody's healthy. Nobody missed Sunday's practice. Some guys were maybe limited here and there, um, but we're all pretty much good to go. So just to clarify, other teams do, in fact, give injury updates. It's like a really not not everyone does, but people are like, yeah, nobody does in college. Not entirely true. Most teams do. A lot of teams are pretty transparent this, about it. Yeah. This is weird from what's <laughs> maybe the part where he's like not saying it in a press conference. Maybe that's not weird. I mean, it's odd, but let's not go weird. What's weird is that paired with closing practice to the media. <laughs> the part where, yeah, it's like nobody can find out what's happening. <laughs> That's what got me with the conspiracy theories where I was like, oh, he's doing an Atkins Barnett package and he doesn't want anybody <laughs> to see. But <laughs> I don't know. It's like Santeo's in a sling and had shoulder, shoulder surgery. That's my concern with the <laughs> closed practice. Oh, man. This is going to be a game, man. It's going to be an interesting game on Saturday. And it's going to be an interesting men's basketball season as the Dukes are preparing for the 2022-2023 season. First time in school history, well, duh, of course it is, that they will be playing in the Sun Belt. But more importantly, for the first time, I haven't fact-checked this, but the first time in program history they're playing three non-D1 <laughs> opponents in the same season. Not only that, I believe it's three um, – <laughs> I believe it's 
three D3 schools in Valley Forge, which opens up the season on November 7th. They play Coastal Georgia, a vaunted power, on November 25th, and uh, Gallaudet on December 10th. <laughs> Dude, the schedule sucks. It's yeah, the so schedule's bad. Not even that. The home schedule is then even worse because, like, <laughs> at least the road schedule, you have UNC, you have UVA. But right. at home, you have the 336th best team in Division One in Hampton. You have the 259th best team in Division One in men's basketball uh, in Eastern Kentucky. And you have the 339th best team in men's basketball in Division One in LIU. I was yeah, you've got Ken pop up, so I can't get you on this question. But I was gonna ask you how <laughs> I was gonna ask you how many top one hundred and twenty-five teams they played the whole season, including conference play. <laughs> if you're a listener, two. type in really quick because the answer is two. And it's, they're top it's, ten. It's so funny. You're playing UNC, which is like <laughs> nine in Ken Palm, but like number one in national title contender in a lot of people's mind. Um, and then you've got Virginia, which is top five and Ken Palm and top 25 and a lot of like voters minds. So you have these two like marquee road games against ACC teams. <laughs> and then you just have crap the rest of the season. Like it's super, super boring. Can I ask you a question? Yes. JMU, if they somehow win out but lose the <laughs> UVA and UNC game. And they somehow lose in the Sun Belt Championship game. Uh-huh. Do they get an at-large <laughs> bit? Honestly, probably. It depends how bad they lose. But if they lose both those games by like 30, no. I feel like no. It's that uh, bad. Remember last year when they got to like 4-0 and people were like, at-large? Like, no. I was one of them. <laughs> I was all the way bought in. Okay, so – with with this terrible, terrible, no good, nothing burger schedule, what are your expectations for this team? I feel like I flip-flopped my feelings back and forth throughout this offseason, and I feel like I've landed on where I'm at, but I want to hear your take first. So they should contend for the Sunbelt title, right? Kempom has them as the best team in the league. They're picked to finish fourth. They should be in the top half of the league with a team going into the conference tournament that should be good. But more than that, like, you better win 20 games. Like, you have three wins that have already been handed to you against... You shouldn't lose a home non-conference game, too. I think that's probably fair, right? What is it? Hampton, Eastern... Yeah, 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 you went over it. It's terrible. So you should go undefeated at home in non-conference play. Fair. Honestly, you should go undefeated in non-conference play outside of UVA and UNC. I like, could see them none dropping of them... a game in there. But they shouldn't. Maybe I, South, South Dakota, Dakota State. State's pretty Maybe. good. At at Buffalo, I feel like is kind of a toss up. But they should they should come out of non conference play with like a pretty darn good record. Yeah, one hundred percent. You finish should... off non conference with Gallaudet, LIU, and Coppin State. That's so bad. And then you go into a. I mean, the Sun Belt schedule is not good. The Sun Belt. No. I know how hype we were. I know we talked at length about this when they made the move initially last year, but the Sunbelt sucks in men's basketball. Like it's not, it's so much worse than the CAA. It's not great in um, 
women's really either. And some of it too, where we're talking about like, oh, everything's a bus trip and in football and it's great. Not really true for basketball. Like it's, it's more <laughs> travel and more like, isn't it? Some of it's harder. Like you're going to yeah, like Georgia state, what you got Georgia Southern. Those are sort of like <laughs> Atlanta E trips. Um, but then you got the West teams where it's like, you're playing Southern Miss and Troy and Louisiana Monroe. And none of those are convenient. Where like Taos and Delaware. Some of those are more convenient. So I'm, it's like a better I would go league. Let me say much more convenient. Significantly. It's a better league for JMU's like athletic department, but it is kind of a bummer that it just like flat lines in basketball. Yeah. Hopefully they get good, but so sorry. I interrupted your expectations of what this men's basketball team will be this year. They should win a lot of games. Like they have guys that Byington's had around for a while. So I think they should you know, be pushing for the NIT or the NCAA tournament. But I think at minimum, like you got to go win 20 games and show you're a capable team. Uh, Ken Palm has Sunbelt. The Sunbelt is the 15th best conference. It's actually got the CAA at 22nd. So they must suck this year. But I agree with you that like past CAA was, was basically the same. I guess they've added Hampton, which is really hurt there. And North Carolina A&T. So they've, they've added some, and a bunch of other teams that are also bad. So they've added some teams that Mon- made them like worse. Yeah. <laughs> I guess Stony Brooks playing basketball Stony with them Brooks. now. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I don't know. Full-time member. So, so they got that going on. Joe D'Antonio can put on his, um, his basketball shorts and hang out with all those squad. He would probably score like 20 on them and like screw some of those teams. He'd probably go off against them. But anyway, uh, Sunbell's not great. It's disappointing that it's not that fun, but you got to go win some games, right? Because the schedule absolutely sucks. And we've been hearing in the non-conference, Jack, that Byington was saying he's got 13 guys who think they can start. So every scholarship guy on this team believes they're capable of starting. I would hope they believe they're capable. I would hope so. Like I would <laughs> hope. Some years I feel like they had some guys who probably didn't. They probably knew, like, uh, I'm not playing. Yeah, but if you're getting recruited to play D1 and you're on full scholarship, I sure hope you want. You think you can start. And, I mean, I don't think a lot of them will start. And that brings me to the point of this team is old, like, in a good way. Yeah. You only lost Chuck and you brought back to call, right? Yeah, to call comes back. So you only lost Chuck and that's it. Uh, yes, I, I think, well, the transfers. And they don't count because they didn't even get playtime. Some of them did. Well, what, Devin Savage left? Devin Savage left. Hodge played a little bit. Jalen Hodge transferred? Jalen Hodge transferred, yes. How did I forget, how did I forget <laughs> that? Well, let me cap. What is this roster then? Let me... Let me do yes. that because apparently I'm way out of the loop. I rem- now, now that you say it, I remember that he transferred, but man, yeah. did I forget that? Three point specialist, no defense. Right. So yeah, so he didn't play a ton. It's an interesting so, roster. So this roster, I'll break it down numerical order: Xavier okay. Brown, a freshman from Williamsburg, No Fredell. Grad student from South Dakota State, three-point specialist. He's essentially, in my view, replacing what Charles Falden left when Charles Falden graduated. A three-point specialist can just spot up in the corner and hit some clutch threes. Tyree Iannaccio, uh transferred from North Dakota, played some minutes last year, was key for that team, was a fantastic defensive point guard. Vado Morse, 
We all know him. Uh, either 30 points or three. Terrence Edwards back. Terrell, Str Terrell Strickland back, which makes for a really fun LIU matchup because his dad, I believe, is the coach of LIU. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be fun. Justin Mahdi's back. Mason Blaine, a freshman from Richmond, Virginia, is joining the team. Mezzi Offerum, a transfer from Mount St. Mary's, 6'8", big man grad student, big time get in the transfer portal for the Dukes to call Molson's back. Dylan Hamrick, a junior. I assume he's like a walk-on. Walk-on, yeah. Uh, so he's new to them. Holen Smith. Uh, you know him, you love him. The redshirt sophomore's back. <laughs> Julian Wooden. Alonzo Sule comes back for his graduate year. Joel Roberson is a yeah. freshman 6'9", one of the biggest guys on the team. Uh, they just signed Ben Hall within the last, like, couple of days he's a 6'10 freshman from Loudon Valley probably won't play this year but some size they're adding and another sophomore Shane Feeden from Woodbridge Jerome Roberson though is talking about that he might be a, he might get some considerable play in this season he's got a chance because of his position I feel like he's gonna roll mostly with the old guys though would be my guess that's a deep team though it's deep it's old so they I should see be good. About 13. They should be really good. The only issue, and you know what I'm going to say. Yeah, you always say it. Where's the size, man? They're, so I think the thing that's interesting about them is they're not that big, but I think they could get away with it this year. Because, like, they Sule was a decent post defender. Roberson gives him a 6'9 guy with some length as a freshman. Even if he doesn't play that much. And then off from at 6'8, 230 is like, all right, there's some decent size. And according to Byington, it's a league that's not that big. They play kind of faster. So it's not quite like CA where you got a seven footer who's going to body you all night. So it might work in conference play. The non conference schedule sucks. It's like, yeah, UNC will probably kill him in the post. But I feel like they'll get away and with UVA. it. And yeah. But like they've got enough there that I think they'll be okay playing kind of a small ball thing. The issue again, again. Kind of built for small ball when you got some guys who aren't like, you know, shooters per se. <laughs> built um, for small so. ball with this was my issue. You replace Charles Falden shoot. Like everyone was so hype about Noah Friedel coming in. And it's just like he doesn't add anything. He I think, like he's gonna I be think good. He's a bucket. From yeah, he not is. Just, so is not Charles Falden. Yeah, okay, okay. It's like you're replacing like you didn't add a special player. You you added Messi offer who was like a needed ad. Cause if not, I was going to start yeah. questioning Mark Byington's like sanity. And then you replace Charles Valden with Charles Valden. <laughs> I think he's a better scorer, but, but yes, yeah, so Valden was like so good. Like I feel like we're, but he didn't shoot that much. So people were like, I feel like it gets maybe like pushed aside, but he was so efficient he had so many like late game moments where like, oh, they lose that game if he doesn't hit that shot. He was huge. He was. Yeah, one hundred percent. Okay. So that's so tough. I guess I, I I am excited about the team offensively though. Like I don't want to sound yes. like like I think they are a small ball team, but when Takal Molson was on the floor and was playing his best, he was a fantastic like slasher, mid range type of player. If we think Noah Friedel is going to be as good as we've been promised, that's a fantastic drive and shootout option. Morse is deadly from three when he's on. Like 
He's also a really good scorer. The question is then who's scores four and five? That's where it gets a little hazy and a little questionable. I'm interested too for like Edwards and Ihanacho because there's been a lot of talk in the offseason about how like they're really versatile and what they can do offensively and defensively. I just want to see how they piece it all together and make it make Work. it fit because there's like a lot of guys where it's like, yeah, I could see how this guy contributes, but it's like, what's the lineup for them? How does that look? Because sometimes depth is like a little overrated. Like it's super, it's good to have, right? Especially if you have injuries. But sometimes people are like, oh, wow, we're we're 11 deep. It's like, I'd rather have like a great starting yeah. five than go 11 deep. So what's like, what's your five? Because I would think Morrison freed out. We talked about this in the offseason. Kind of got to be on the floor a lot. Like you need. <laughs> yeah, they're your, can... your, they're your best scoring options that can like yeah. fill it up. To call also is another good scoring option. Yes. So you feel like he's going to eat up minutes. going to play a lot, you would think. Julian Although, Wooden is one of your bigger players. And so, like, you think he's – him and Sule will probably be playing, like, the 4-5 a lot. And so just from a pure roster management standpoint, you're so deep at guard that it just kind of becomes like, well, if Ian Acho's in, you need Fredell in. So that doesn't free up a spot for Edwards to come in because are you playing two guards who can't really score? I think they. I think Edwards showed a little bit that he could score, but he's not like necessarily in a shooting way. He's like a slasher. He's gonna get to the bucket and right. Yeah. So I think that's kind of <laughs> what the. Well, he said he worked on his shot, but that's like the same thing where like every off season, every player works on their shot, and you get all those stories, and then you get you know to game one. And sometimes it's like, oh, Kihei Clark still not a great point shooter. So, <laughs> so. Sounds like that one comes from a personal experience. Huh? <laughs> it, it does. Like, put all this work in. It's like he's a really fun player to have on your team, but I don't think he's a three-point specialist. So I don't know. It's it's like how good can you get? Like how does Strickland fit in? How does Amadi fit in? There are just a lot of guys you got to get in there. And the thing that concerns me is three-point because you talked about Molson. He's had three consecutive seasons below 30% three-point shooting. Who are your like if Morse and Friedel are like your three point guys, otherwise they're just crashing the lane. But I guess in Jamie's advantage, they want to go faster than any team in the history of basketball. So might get some fast break buckets. That's very true. I mean, they're going to run at a very fast pace. But yeah, I'm I'm worried about the size. I'm worried about the shooting. I think I don't think it'll rear its head in Sunbelt play, but I think there's a good chance that at the UNC game you and I are attending, uh, uh, we yeah. might have to shield we might have to shield our faces in shame because they won't be able to defend anything <laughs> low block against Armando Baycott. Yeah, it's, it'll be interesting <laughs> to see what those well, and it's also like I don't know. I don't. It's hard to know like what's the goal for Jamie men's basketball. You know, make is the it tournament. like it's, it's just naked. Okay, so if, if for that's right goal, now, I would or, say yeah. I think for right now, I think in three years it's win an NCAA tournament game, but let. Like, you're in year what three of Byington. Year one was COVID. Year two, you were barred from anything postseason. So like year one and year two are weird years. So this is year one back in the Sun Belt for him. I think this year it's make the tournament. It's win the Sun Belt. I think next year it's be competitive in the NCAA tournament. I think the following year it's win an NCAA tournament game. And that might be a really aggressive timeline. But at that point, he'll be year one, two, three, four, year five in. He should have his guys. And if he's as good as 
we all think he is, he should be able to win an NCAA tournament game. Yeah, at least put him it in also me- I think that's sorry sorry to interrupt. Oh. You also have to schedule a better non conference to be able to do that. Like <laughs> this is such a bad non conference game that no matter what they do, they are a sixteen seed if they win the Sun Belt. They're probably in the play in game. Yeah, Shane Maitland had an interesting article where he asked like questions about the season as like his season preview. And he was talking about the schedule and he was saying that it's like an interesting thing moving forward because if they're good enough this year where they get to a point where like they're not a bad loss for teams, it could make it easier to schedule. Like if like if you think JMU is capable, but they're still considered a bad loss, like right now where they're 127, but you might think they're like a good basketball team, you probably don't want to schedule them. You'd rather schedule like VCUs, whatever they are. Yeah. So yeah, somebody you're either going to kill or someone that if you beat them, it's considered like an okay result instead of like nothing. Um, or they would be so bad that teams would schedule them because they're like, if they go 10 and 20 in like the Lewis Rowe era, everybody wants to schedule them. So interesting, if they like have sort of a middle Sunbelt year, it might still be hard. But at the same time, not that hard, right? You can really get like... I also, it, I also don't care like that much about like... I'm not saying we need to go out and schedule like three ACC teams right. and a Big East team. I just don't want three D3 teams, man. Yes. I, Fill all of those spots with Division One teams. Give me Radford. Give yes. me yeah. UNCW. And I know CAA schools probably aren't going to want to schedule us, but like, or we want to schedule them. I don't care. Like, just give like give. I'm getting anything over here. Well, like not even three D like three schools. I'd play UNC Greensboro. Like you know, like there are just some some teams that are not horrendous basketball teams that are like semi close by. Sounds like a good plan. Yeah. Yeah. And I, th- I think that's. I, th- <laughs> I think it's UNC doable. Charlotte. Sorry, Charlotte. Yeah, like Charlotte would be more fun. Like Wofford. Like, I don't know. There's just, there's teams that are there's like. So many pitches. So yeah. many opportunities. Where it's like, I don't think Wofford's like combing through their non-conference being like, ah, this is going to bust our resume bubble. Like, I think <laughs> you could probably get some of these teams to play you. Chattanooga would be cool. Like, there are just some some teams in there Tennessee. that I think would. Ten- yeah, Tennessee, Kentucky. <laughs> I will say I think I think COVID screwed a lot of the scheduling up for this year. Yeah, because they were also supposed to do what other stuff earlier where like they wanted to play UVA the first year, but it was COVID yeah. and they're like come next year so we can have fans there and beat your butt. So uh <laughs> but it's I don't know, it's I I have high expectations, but yeah, I guess I guess the goal really is just win the Sun Belt. I think this roster can do that. But yeah, I think they could have some issues if they get into a tournament game. Which, if you're at that, if that's the concern with JMU basketball this year, like we're in the tournament, we don't think we're going to advance to the round of 32. I'm I'm okay with that. That sounds nice. Yeah. All right. Preseason awards. Oh, preseason awards. MVP. Oh, that's a good question. MVP. I'm going to go with. I'm going to go Molson. I like that pick. I like that it's pick. Not, I don't think that's a good pick in hindsight because he is coming off the injury. They might ease him into the season. But I'm going to go Molson. I think in, in conference play, he'll be huge. Okay. I'm going to go – this is a tough one. This might be a basic question, basic answer. I'm going to go Morse. That's he's going to get his. He got, answer, he's, yeah. he's the primary ball handler. Like It was between him and Sule, and I just don't think Sule will like, get enough looks. I think that's fair. 
um, newcomer of the year. So freshman newcomer or transfer. I think it's going to be Friedel, the South Dakota State transfer. Yeah. I think he's going to score a lot. And I think he's someone that, like, because of the three-point shooting where he's, like, can hit it, like, 40%, he's going to be really hard to take off the floor. So yeah. I think he'll be the guy. And I don't really see the freshman getting a lot of run this year because they're so dang deep. I'll say Jarrell Roberson. Really? I hope he gets a little run because he seems interesting. I think if he proves to be above average, he'll get minutes. And then if he can, like, develop as the year goes on, he's – Larger than I think everyone on this on this team. So like, player wise, yeah. You have the ability to play him more if he's athletic. He can kind of take that four or five. He can be kind. I think there's opportunity for Roberson to see the floor a lot. Now, if we're like making betting lines, he's by no means the favorite. The favorite is most likely Fredell. How do you pronounce yeah. it? I think it's it's. I don't remember. Let me look okay. it up. Let's but see like, if they put it. It's Friedel or Friedel or one of them, you know. <laughs> if we're going betting lines, Friedel's the favorite. But I think Roberson is a long shot enough to give you kind of dark horse vibes where you'd want to take that ticket type of thing. And last, while you're looking that up, I want you to think of most improved player. Oh, man, that's a good one. Can I get my answer while you look? Yeah, you go first. This might be an interesting choice. And shout out Brian Reese for this. Julian Wooden. Wow. Julian Wooden show a lot of promise. After his freshman year, he jumped up in COVID year to eight points per game. Solid 42% shooting. 30% from behind the line, um, was able to kind of pick and pop, was a taller player, was able to make a solid impact off the bench for the Dukes. Then last year, his minutes increased a bit. His points per game came down. His shooting percentage was all right. It maintained the same. It almost was exactly the same as what he was doing the year before. It just seemed like his game was lacking a little bit. He takes shots when he could have driven to the hoop. He drove to the hoop when he should have probably taken a shot. I think Wooden will make a step forward this season. I think he'll increase to double-digit scoring. Really? I think he'll be the most improved player. I like that pick. That'd be big if they get a good year out of Wooden. would be big. I'm going to go Edwards, Aaron's Edwards. I feel like he's... He's due. I'm going to buy the, the preseason hype that he's playing out of his mind. There are other players saying he's their favorite point guard to play with, which made me be like, wait a second. Point guard. Uh, I don't know if it's good. <laughs> I think that's exciting, man. He's distributing well, I mean, the ball. He's no, I running a Morse little there. forward. I think Morse, I like Morse if they stick him at two, where he doesn't necessarily have to handle it all the time. And they can do different things with him. I wouldn't have Edwards playing the point most of the season because you have so many like <laughs> ball handlers. But I think he's he's fun if he can take it up in transition. I just feel like he rebounds well. He's going to score a little bit. He'll have some assists and steals. I feel like he's versatile. And if he can do literally anything with his jump shot, like he's got a chance for a really special season. So look forward to watching him play. Awesome. Now, women's basketball. You're excited about this one. I have a couple questions about this team. Oh, I'm excited, yeah. It's going to be a good year. I mean, the Sun Belt, again, is not good in women's basketball. But the women's team has a much better schedule compared to the men. Against Maine, 
Uh, they do play a team called Millersville. Never heard of them. But yeah, they welcome in Queens. Not, not D1. <laughs> okay, awesome. Love, love that. They welcome in Queens, which is D1 now. Queens, I believe, is coached by a JMU women's basketball alum. Um, oh, don't quote me on that, but I want to say in my research when I was working, when I worked with Queens, I figured that out. Play Longwood. They also play UNC, Liberty, BC, Maryland, Eastern Shore, William and Mary and Hampton, Eastern Michigan, and St. Joseph's and or Wright State. So a really solid non-conference schedule that leads them into a lackluster sunbelt schedule. But this is a team that has kind of regressed since losing Kamaya. Coming off they've of a had... 14 and 15 season. What were you going to say? Sorry. I was just going to say they've had some tough injury luck, but it's getting to a point where it's so many years in a, in a row where it's like, what's what's happening? Like, how is that possible? Like, if you have like six years of bad injury luck in a row. Yeah. What, what is happening? So I know that's a little alarming to me. Also, last year's injury was weird because like Peyton McDaniel, who's a key piece for this team, was like a game time decision for game one. And then like by game four, <laughs> oh, Peyton McDaniel's out for the year. And it's like, what changed over the last yeah. year? <laughs> what? So that was that was something. But they're they're also deep and I feel like they should be good and better defensively. They have experience. Like this is another one, both basketball teams. Like you got to go get me 20 wins. Like you should be a good Sunbelt contender. They're picked to finish sixth in the Sunbelt. Feels low. Like Kiki Jefferson is capable of being the best player in the conference. I don't know. Like when you have that and you return Claire Neff and Peyton McDaniel is supposed to be able to play this year. Hazel is pretty good. He's played a good amount. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of players that they've had plus some like transfers, Kozlova, from Middle Tennessee, who's six four, supposed to give him a physical presence in the post. That seems exciting. You've got the the TCU transfer, German Caroline German, who's supposed to be. It sounds like the starting point guard. Um, they like what she can do, and, and sort of compared to Logan Reynolds a little bit, pass first, but but tough. So I don't know. It's like you've got the talent, then you have a Texas transfer. Uh, I think she will not. She's not eligible to like December or something. I don't remember why, but like they're, they're deep. They have a lot of good players. They have a ton of size. Yeah. They're, they're set. They can be good. They're coming off of an abysmal shooting year last year. They shot the three a lot. Madison green chucked it up over 150 times, hit it on just a 29% clip. The team shot 28% from deep. They shot 38% from the floor was not a good shooting year last season. And I think that might be because their defense was so bad. They had to force things on the offensive side, and they didn't have many options outside of Kiki. Kiki Jefferson last season is coming off of a career high in points, coming off a career high in minutes played, but it's coming off of a career low in field goal percentage and three-point percentage. I think that was because she was forcing it last year where she felt like she had to be the offense a lot of times. So the I think the key to this team having a good year is all those players coming together, but that defense to get back to the defense that JU is known for. I agree. I think defense is going to be huge. The other thing is they had almost 200 more turnovers than assists. Oh, my God. 
just <laughs> like they were turning it over a lot. They weren't scoring they were lots. Turning it over so much, so many times. They didn't have any games with single digit turnovers. Like they didn't have a single game where they only turned it over nine or fewer times. Every game had at least ten. Do you have the stats in front of you? Yes. So don't close your eyes. Okay. Okay. How many players had more than fifty turnovers on the season? More than fifty. Yeah. Oh man, three, three. How many had more than forty? Is it another? Is it five? Yes. <laughs> like that can't happen, and it's like there's and gonna. It's, it's primary ball handler too that are yeah. turning it out. Kiki turned it over ninety nine times. Jemiah Hazel turned it over sixty one. Brianna Tinsley fifty seven. Jalen Caradon forty five. Annalisha Goodman forty two. Goodman's a player down in the post, though, so, like, not as bad. I mean, it's bad for her to turn it over 42 times as a big man. Definitely bad, but not as bad when it's, like, your point guard bringing it up, if you know right, what I mean. Right, right. It's just tough when you have that many turnovers, and then it's like, oh, okay, well, they make up for it with shooting. It's like, no, they shot 28% from three. So, like, if you're if you're not efficient <laughs> scoring, like, with shooting – yeah, and then you're giving, giving away somewhere. some of those shots. It's not going to go well <laughs> offensively, and it didn't. But it's also one where it was like mind-boggling to watch them play because, like, they're clearly talented, and it seemed like sometimes they would just push pace and like go too fast and turn it over. When it was like, oh yeah, one hundred percent. Why can't just we like, just run a half-court set or something? It was just like, Coach O, why don't we just call timeout and tell him stop? I know that's <laughs> so much easier said than done, but there were times in those games where they're just like running their hearts out and you're sitting yeah. there and you're like, why, why are you doing that? What's the point in trying to create a fast break off of an inbound pass after the opposing <laughs> team hit a bucket? Let's calm down. Let's walk it up the court and let's run a high pick and roll that finds Kiki done. Boom. Perfect. <laughs> That's the offense. I did. I want to see them be a more, a little more deliberate this year. If they go and push a little bit, that's fine. But like, Maybe a little more deliberate. I also, I, it would just be frustrating if, if they struggled this year because the, they have a lot of pieces to be good. Is Gojo on the hot seat? <laughs> <laughs> One of your favorite questions. This team has only gotten worse every year under Gojo. <laughs> I don't think that's totally true. The, the <laughs> one year... They were like, remember they had a simulated Sweet 16 run? You're just throwing away the simulated Sweet 16. I'm sorry, 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 like sorry, wait, wait, wait. I can't hear, I can't hear you over the excuses. <laughs> COVID came. They would have been a Final Four team based on the metrics. They would have, they would have won the national title, depending on the computer, <laughs> computer model you're looking at. <laughs> no, but like they've had good years that were like screwed by injury and stuff. But at the same time, I'm a little concerned by how they were not very good i would say the last two years if they come out and win 16 games this season and it's a first round sunbelt conference tournament exit do you think it's time to seriously look at coach i i think coach o is a good coach and i think you're right that this team has been bit by injuries but when you date it back to what 2018 and every year your year's getting derailed by one injury that's questionable. Like, why is the team not set up to withstand something like that? I get if it's Kamaya. Well, it was Kamaya. But I get if it's Kiki and that takes something out. But, like, 
it's your second or third option and you don't have someone that can step up there. There's just things that I'm questioning. Coach O's a good coach. Offensively, they've been pretty solid. Last year's the outlier. But at the same time, they have never performed to the expectation. Is it time that we start questioning Coach O a little bit more? Because he took over for Kenny Brooks and he hasn't done anything since Kenny Brooks's guys have left. Yeah, it was like when you're looking at Kenny Brooks's last like five or so years in Harrisonburg, it was like WNIT run or NCAA tournament, right? It wasn't just like you just get in there or you miss something. Like it was very consistent. Like you can pencil them in for 24 wins. And yes. they, you know, depending and on one of like, the best defenses in the country with an explosive offense. Yeah, it's like depending on where they are with like one or two players, it could go from like 24 to 29 wins and like they're right. But they were pretty much always getting that 24 mark. Well, I mean, they did from 2005 to to 20, whatever it is, 2015, 16 when he left. So I mean, it's like a decade of 24 consecutive wins. <laughs> and and they kind of had it going for the most part under O. And then it's the last few years, it sort of looked off. The defense has looked off. And it's, it seems like they've had rosters too that like should have had yeah. maybe even some offenses that were more dynamic than like what Kenny Brooks had and they were worse. Right. So I think there's, I don't think he's like on the hot seat or anything, but I think if he has another like average year, I think you start looking in like, because for basketball, the Sun Belt, like JMU and men's and women should be consistently competing to win that league. Yes. So, so if you can't do it, then yeah, but I, I, I don't know the pieces are there. So I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that they could be really special this year. Cause I do think they should be, cause they have a lot of very good players. I mean, if Peyton McDaniel steps back into the role that she was in, in 2019, in 2020, 2021, and is that really solid number two behind Kiki and Alicia Goodman is a solid post player and kind of continues her development. And that pairs with Caradine. I think Caradine actually graduated. Yeah, but you've got Neff can score still. Eh, can Neff score? She can score a little bit. I she, just think you don't want her as like your two, your number two scorer. She missed time last season, right? She missed like the end of the year. Yep, yep, she did miss the end of the year. So coming back from injury, be interesting to see. I'm I'm interested in this team. I'm I'm kind of keeping a keeping a little bit of a closer eye. I I think I think it's it's a season that they need to perform well in. And I think, I think so too. It's also one, like they've had success before getting like pretty well-respected recruits. Like, I don't know. I feel like women's basketball is one, like a team that they could get that goes to sweet 16s. Like, I think he could be getting four star women's basketball players, like good arena. And if you're like, yeah, if you're like one of the better mid majors and you got a chance to win your league every year and they've consistently scheduled like good non-conference where you play like, I mean, they've hosted Maryland and like should have beat them a couple of years ago. So I think it's like a, not an easy job, but it's a job that you can have a lot of success in. Yeah. So let's Thank see. Bringing up Maryland. I mean, that was an epic meltdown. Can we blame that on the coach? I, I can't believe they lost that game. Yeah, that was, that was can you blame that on the coaching staff? There's been a couple epic meltdowns on this uh, coaching staff's resume. You're getting the hot seat questions mm. going. Early. All right, we'll see. MVP of this team. I want to be wrong on that. I want to be wrong on that. MVP of this season. I think it's going to be Kiki. Yeah. I know that's not an exciting answer, but she's I, so good. I mean, it's the same answer for me, too. I think Kiki's MVP. Newcomer. Newcomer is a good question. 
a really good question. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it's it's Jermon, the point guard, TCU. I think she's got a chance to change the turnover woes and and put up a good year. So I'll say it's her. I'm gonna go with Kinsia Kozlova. Yeah, six four junior center from Moscow, Russia, transferred from Middle Tennessee, mainly because she's six four. And that's just like absurdly tall. This is the same reasoning though I used for um <laughs> Joel Mensa. Joel Mensa and it <laughs> flew up in my face. But it seems like she the- is tough defensively though and should actually get some some important minutes. So Yeah. Most improved. Oh man, that's a good question. That's a really, really good question. Um I'm gonna say Jamia Hazel, and I, I hope it's her. All rookie team two seasons ago. Kind of similar stats. Yeah. Last year, and I was expecting more. Her three point percentage went from 37% to 28%. That's such a bad drop off. Her assists went from 2.6 to 1.5. Her minutes went up, though, but she played more games, had fewer steals. Like, there's some things there that I was, I guess, a little surprised um, that she didn't have a breakout year. So I think she's one super talented and like, in terms of players on the team that can create their own shot, she's got to be yeah. at the top of the list. So if she can be a little more efficient, I feel like she's due for a, a good season. So I have this between three people. You really narrowed it down. Kiki. Oh. Coming off of career lows in field goal percentage and three-point percentage. Okay. Um, I think for this team to be good, she needs to increase that. And I think she can, and I think there's a real chance that there's a legitimate shot. She's like absurdly good this year and could fall in the most improved category. Claire Neff went from a 36% three-point shooter to a 27% three-point shooter last season. Increased minutes. She did have more points per game last year, but she's the third option, and she's supposed to be this three-point specialist. For the Dukes to have a solid season, I think Claire Neff emerging and improving that three-point shot off of last season's low is really important for this team. Has to be not a knockdown shooter, but like a shooter that puts fear in the other team type of thing. Like you don't want to leave her open. And but my answer is going to be in a weird way. Peyton McDaniel didn't play at all last season. Um, I guess that's comeback player of the year, but we'll she, take it. she's improving off of zero points from last year. Um, <laughs> but if we even want to compare it. <laughs> We even want to compare it to her. If we want to compare it to her freshman year, she averaged twelve point two points per game, thirty eight percent or thirty nine percent shooting, thirty two percent from behind the arc. It'll be hard to improve from that because those are some really solid numbers. But I, I think the way she plays, um, where she plays, alongside Akiki, I think her improvement will be really important for the Dukes. season so that's kind of my three answers but my answer number one is Peyton McDaniel I like that pick I also feel like like we talked about with some of the scoring issues if she shows she can score like you're gonna have opportunities like if if no one else is stepping up you like you can go for 20 a game and Kiki can get 20 a game too and then you have everyone else combined for another 20 and there's your 60 and you hope the defense is there and I think the issue last season was Peyton McDaniel being injured which when you're losing your number two score, that's a big, that is a big blow, but it was 
losing that paired with like the entire team regressing. Yes. From shooting. Like Claire Neff, in theory, should be that number two option that Kiki can kick out to, or Madison Green could have kicked out to, or Annalisha Goodman can kick out to. Like that was Claire Neff's ability to step up. And her and the entire team really just regressed wholeheartedly and they shot terribly from behind the arc and they just yeah. shot terribly from the field. So I think there was a lot of different factors that caused them to regress so poor, so badly last year. One part of it was Peyton McDaniel being hurt. The second part was just the team not being able to hit the broadside of a barn. Doesn't help. Nope. All right. Anything else you want to add for this podcast? I know you volleyball's cruising folks. Yeah, volleyball. They are seventeen and four, and eleven and one in conference play. Their RPI, they're thirty sixth nationally RPI, which I was kind of surprised to hear. So they're rolling. They're like borderline at large contender with that RPI. Yeah, um, we'd like to see them win the Sun Belt title though. But that's that'll be uh that starts the sixteenth of November and then goes through the twentieth. Uh, women's soccer actually plays Wednesday Whoa. in their Sun Belt title. Yeah, men's soccer, I think, is soon as well. They're getting bodied by Marshall right now in the final regular season game, but Marshall's like a top-five team, so can't blame them too bad there. Side note, volleyball, Lauren Steinbrecher, what a coach. What all a coach. Does, all she does is win. Like, <laughs> right? not only does she engage with Jamie Sports News tweets, she <laughs> always just wins. They're so good. They're never not good. They've had in some belt play – they're 11 and one. They have the one loss. And outside of that, only one of their 11 wins actually went the full five sets. That's amazingly dominant. They've just been unbelievably good. That'd be really cool to see them because, like, college volleyball is sweet. So yeah. to see them in the NCAA tournament would be very, very cool. That's another one, like, softball, like, sneaky good. Like, probably doesn't get as much, like, even local recognition as it should, but it's very, very cool. Yeah, because, I mean, it's competing up against football and basketball. Nope. I mean, they, they still deserve it. Not saying they don't deserve it. But, but yeah, it's a tough cool. time of the year, right, with, with all yeah. that stuff going on. Uh, um, and then field hockey, their season, they're not going to make the NCAA tournament, I don't believe. So no. they finished they finish 10-7 and seven with an independent schedule, right? No conference affiliation for them as of yet. But 10-7 and seven against a tough schedule, is it's a pretty good year. Have they announced where they're going yet? There was like rumors that the Sun Belt would end up sponsoring field hockey, but unclear when okay. or if that might happen. So I don't really know what exactly what it'll it'll mean for them for the long term. But all right, well, for Bennett Conlin, I'm Jack Fitzpatrick. Thank you guys for tuning into the JMU Sports News podcast presented by Bet Online and Three Notched Brewing. If you're in Harrisonburg, check out the Valley Collab House. Until next time, see ya. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube